right, so this morning again, we're in Romans. We're continuing through our study in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Last week, we spent a good portion of our time in the first five verses. uh, Seven verses is what we covered, but uh, I I thought it was important to understand what it was that the Lord was doing and had established in Paul. In his greeting, he made it very clear uh, who he considered himself to be and what his purpose was. We're going to continue that this morning, actually, as the title of this morning's message is God's Declaration of Freedom. So it's God's Declaration of Freedom, part two. We're going to pick up in verse eight and read through what we're studying this morning. So let's begin reading in Romans chapter one, verse eight, where it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we spend in your word, asking as always that you would give us understanding For it is your word that does not return void. Lord, you you lay truth before us. You do not force it down our throats, so to speak. But you do make it known to us. That we may have a choice as to what we will do with it. Lord, it's no different this morning. As we consider what we have before us, your word, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see it for what it is in context. That we would indeed believe. That we would surrender to the authority of your word. And that we would bless and honor you. For you desire no evil upon us. In fact, your word tells us that you desire, you wish that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. Lord, that is exactly what we have this morning. That is Paul's heart. Lord, it's aligned with yours. 
Lord, as the gospel is proclaimed this morning, I pray that you would have your way with us. You would make all things clear and that we would respond accordingly. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right, God's declaration of freedom. You know, the Apostle Paul was a man of singular purpose. One thing he had on his mind and heart, and that was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, not just to the Jews. We know that the Apostle Paul would often go into the synagogues first, wherever, wherever he went, whatever city he came into. He would oftentimes, he had such a love and a desire for his countrymen, for his people, the Jewish people, to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he would go into the synagogues and proclaim the gospel to them first. But he was a man of singular purpose. No matter where he went, there's one thing that he had on his heart. And that is to tell everyone the good news of Jesus Christ. But this gospel is a declaration of freedom that is to be understood for what it truly is and what it truly is not. I think today's church has kind of convoluted the gospel. It's watered it, it's watered it down. And in fact, in many churches, it's a different gospel. And, and the Bible tells us very clearly that anything other than the one true gospel is no gospel at all. Because the gospel is not a formula for being a quote-unquote good person. It's not a proven plan to get through the parole board and get your wife back, your life back. And it's not a method by which you cleanse yourself and ready yourself for more mature and adult living. You know, we've gotten to the point to where perhaps, you know, we just want to be better people. We want to have a, a family that contributes to society in a good way. And so I, I see people come into church sometimes. That's all they want. You're here for the wrong purpose. That's not why Paul proclaimed the gospel. It's not why John did. It's not why James did. Not why Peter did. The gospel was never, quote unquote, rolled out like that. The gospel was never marketed to appeal to the masses to get what they wanted out of life or even to get things back that they had lost. Joel Osteen, I know he has a book, and he has many books, right? The title of one, as, as we know, Your Best Life. Now, there are many, they are, what, they, what they are are their self-help books springboarded off of maybe perhaps one verse that was taken out of context. That's what it is. But do you know that Jesus never promised a cush life. He never did. In fact, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Right? But take heart. He says, for, for he has overcome. What does he mean by that? That's, that's the whole purpose of the gospel. He has over, overcome what? Like these trials, these, these things that have come against him? No, it's much more than that. Financial issues? The loss of a home? No, much more than that. 
He has conquered sin and he's conquered the grave. That's really what we ought to have hope in and cling to, trust in. That's why we ought to rejoice in everything. The primary and only purpose of the gospel was to restore a person to his creator. That's it. Period. Period. There's there's no end to that. And it is only through Jesus Christ, and it is only when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was resurrected on the third day by God, that we know this salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Consider what Jesus said and what Peter said. When Jesus came... He lived a perfect life. And you know how he started his first sermon? Come together, everyone who wants a better life here on earth. And, uh, and, and you'll, I'll give you the way to do that. Did he say that? No, he said something that probably would like not, might fall on deaf ears today. And in fact, it has fallen on deaf ears. Hopefully not yours. Because Jesus' first sermon had one theme. And guess what it was? Repent. Matthew 4.17, he said, Jesus said, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, after having testified of Jesus of Nazareth, being the Son of God, who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, had been crucified and was asked by the people who heard what they were to do, what what they were to do, heard him and asked what they were to do at that point. What now, in other words? We understand that Jesus was the one who was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Those have been fulfilled in him. We believe that he is the son of God who died on the cross for my sin and for the sins of the world. That he had died, resurrected on the third day. And they all said, what do we do now? Okay, we believe. What do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus Christ and Peter proclaimed and knew, Paul knew that the only freedom that matters is the freedom we know in Christ from the condemnation of our sin. You know that type of freedom? You know that? Because after that, we then learn how to live to bring glory to our Lord by the manner in which we conduct ourselves. You know, sometimes we have it backwards. We think that, you know, others, the world may look at the church and and that's why the, the world looks at the church and says, oh, they just act like they're holier than thou, right? Like they're better than everyone else, you know, and like they're, they're trying to cleanse their own lives to like, be just better people. Like, no. You know why we live lives that are morally upright before the Lord? Because it's a proper response to God's grace. That's it. 
there's, there's no other reason why we live lives that hopefully honor the Lord. Because we've come to be grateful people that want to bless the Lord and express our love for Him by the manner in which we conduct ourselves. That's it. We cannot earn anything more than what we've been given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot. It's a done deal. Paul's letter only makes sense when we realize that it is for the church. Even when we go, when we go into next week's message and it covers the final portion of this chapter. You know, don't get all riled up. Because this is informational to where the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Romans, what he's doing is he's laying out the depravity of humanity in the world apart from Christ. That's what that is. But this letter is, is written for the church, to the church, for the benefit of the church. And through the church, the people, everyone else will, would be blessed. Because the gospel comes through you and I. The church is to be ready to declare the gospel to all and itself continue in the gospel to the glory of God. This is God's declaration of freedom. And how we as Christians are called to be a part of that work. And this morning I want to show you how Jesus had sent Paul apart, how he had set him apart for the gospel, sent to sanctify the saints, and then sent to proclaim the gospel. And how we are also to see ourselves in that manner. Because we have been given marching orders. The Great Commission is for you and me. Go. In other words, that word go means you're sent. Go. And make disciples of all nations. Last week, um, we covered the first seven verses where the Apostle Paul considered himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul referring to himself as a servant of just one. Uh, we also saw, saw how it was that the Apostle Paul was sent by Jesus Christ. He knew this. This was, this was a command given to the Apostle Paul by Jesus Christ. And so he was set apart to the gospel of God, but he was sent by Jesus to go out and proclaim it. So he was set apart for the gospel, uh, finally, is what we saw last week, that he had a singular purpose the most, the most important thing was the gospel of Jesus Christ, glorifying him. If Jesus is one's master, then one's purpose will be to please to glorify him. And finally, as we come into this morning covering the, the following verses, we see that Paul was sent to sanctify the saints. So you know you were sent here? You thought it was just a worship to sit here and take in? mm you were actually sent here to sanctify the saints, to be used as an instrument to pour into others, to pray for them, to encourage them, to stir them up to love and good works. Sent to sanctify the saints. Verse 8 once again says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, 
That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul addressed the church in Rome. Remember that he was writing from Corinth. And he expressed that he was grateful for them. He prayed often for them. He wanted to come to them. But up to that point, he had been uh, not allowed to go. He had been withheld by the Holy Spirit. But he was very grateful for them. And, and he even made, made mention of the fact that they were uh, well known throughout the whole world. Remember I said last week, and you know the saying, all, all roads lead to Rome. And you know, if that's a fact, then all roads that are found leading out of Rome go into all the world. So it's a wonderful thing that the gospel came to Rome so that from Rome it could go to all the world. That kind of makes me think about things that we have in our hands. Perhaps you have one in your hand. These devices. Yeah, like that. A phone, an iPad. You know, through those devices, the gospel could go out. Uh, you see, media is not evil in and of itself, right? You knew that, right? Of course. But you could use it to glorify the Lord. Rome in and of itself, like the place, was not evil. The, the people in the world, right, outside of Christ, okay, we can do things that are completely opposed to the Lord and not use things for the glory of God. But, you know, as, as we consider Rome, the gospel came to Rome, but from there it went throughout all the world. Those devices that we use, our computers, our phones, and all of that can be used to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and encourage others. Well, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Rome... This, this was a church, if you consider this, this was not a church that, that Paul planted. Paul planted many of the other churches. He founded many of the churches by simply proclaiming the gospel. Some people came to faith, and it's in that manner in which these churches in other cities had not only been born, but grew. But this church was not a church that was planted by Paul. Not by Peter. Not by John, not by James, or anyone else. It was one that had been planted by the Holy Spirit. This fellowship of believers in Rome was a church recognized by Paul. As pastors also, we need to be very, very careful that we also consider that. You know, as um, people are sent to plant a church here and there, uh, is it really a person who's planting the church? I hope not. I hope it's the Holy Spirit that's planting the church. Because it's founded on Jesus Christ, not any other person. This church, planted by Jesus Christ. This is a church that belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me or anyone else. We know that Paul had been chomping at the bit, so to speak, wanting to go to Rome, but we know that he had been prevented from going. And in his own words, he said, I'd been, been prevented from going thus far. In other words, he didn't give up on going to Rome. He knew he would eventually get there because the Lord told him he would get there. 
Paul's reason for going was not self-serving, but he genuinely desired to go for one express purpose, and that was to serve them. The reason why he wanted to go and spend time with the brethren there in Rome was for their benefit. But he knew, as we read, that in ministering to them, that he also would be ministered to. It's it's interesting also, when we give of ourselves, the Lord pours into us. As we pour out to others, the Lord is continually pouring into us. That's why it's important for us to serve one another. As we serve, so we are being ministered to by the Lord. And he gives us a greater desire for that fellowship. And so, knowing this, Paul prayed for them often. That perhaps God may grant him passage to Rome to see everyone there and to pour into them. The following is Paul's understanding on why he would remain and not die and go be with the Lord. Remember, a singular purpose, and that is Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to uh, to, uh, Philippians 1, chapter 19. Philippians 1, chapter 19, or I'm sorry, Philippians 1, verse 19. You know, to the Corinthians, he writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 2. He says, for I have decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, the Apostle Paul didn't want to get entangled in, in any of their affairs. Remember that. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was not an easy one. Uh, It was one of of rebuke, correction, one in which he addressed many issues within the church. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, this wasn't a statement that was made by an arrogant man. This was a statement that was made and should be able to be made by any follower of Jesus Christ who has grown in the Lord. Anyone. And sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul, we look at Moses, we look at David, we look at John, we look at James, we look at all these people and we think, oh, they're like, they're on a whole different level, aren't they? That, that's, that's what we think. No, they're men just like you are. These women of faith, Timothy's mother and grandmother, they're people just like you and I. It's the same spirit that leads and guides them in all truth, that teaches them all things pertaining to life 
and godliness in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the same. The Apostle Paul in this was, was saying, hey, I, I know that, hey, if the Lord allows me to continue, it should be for your benefit. It shouldn't be that when you come into the presence of someone else, like a group of people, if you see them or hear them groaning, <laughs> even worse, right? It's like, oh, here comes Raul. That, that's not good. But listen, hey, listen, listen. If that's where you are, know that God doesn't desire for you to stay there. He, he wants you to repent and come back to him. That way, as you know that hope in Christ, as you walk with him, as you grow in maturity, that you may come to the place to where when people see you coming, like the Apostle Paul is saying, it is to your benefit, that people will say, in their own minds, this will be a breath of fresh air. This will be a time of encouragement, of sharpening. A time where we can truly have fellowship and be stirred up in love and good works. You see, Paul knew, and he wrote it down. The Lord directed him to and guided him to jot down those very words that we found in Philippians 1, 19 through 26, that you and I would be encouraged, that we would know how to interact with one another, to be those blessings that the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, was expressing. Let's break down what Paul is saying and desiring to do, because in understanding this, we then begin to understand what we're doing here as a gathered church. Paul's purpose for, for gathering, for fellowshipping, for communing with the Christians in Rome. Number one, to impart a spiritual gift. Verse 11 says that, right? For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. What does that mean to impart? I want to make known to you. I want to... Uh, communicate, pass on, I want to reveal, I want to relay to you some spiritual gift. Paul wanted to come to them to make known some spiritual gift. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. First Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one 
and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Not the individual wills, but as the Lord wills. And then in verse 27, he continues saying, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? And those are rhetorical questions. Uh, Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13, where we know it to be the chapter of love. The Apostle Paul is, and we can't go into those gifts for the sake of time, but but that's what he's referring to, those types of spiritual gifts. What was the ultimate goal of revealing those gifts and the exercise thereof? To strengthen others. For that, we go to Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me there to Philippians chapter 4. So the Apostle Paul is saying, For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I'm sorry. I said Philippians, but I made a mistake. It's Ephesians. Your priority there. You knew what I was thinking, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what the Apostle Paul consistently was desiring of every single local fellowship. It wasn't just the Philippians, it wasn't the Corinthians, it wasn't just the church in Rome, it was... It was all of the fellowships. It, it's God's desire. In other words, it's God's desire for you and I, both here and anywhere else, that there is a local church body to look like, to function like. This is the manner in which the Lord has designed for us to grow in the Lord. When we speak love to one another, how do you define love? That's very important. Hopefully it's biblically defined. Because sometimes love wounds. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If someone's just telling you what you want to hear, 
that's not a friend. That is not a friend. That's worse than an enemy. At least an enemy, you know it's an enemy. When someone is from within that's telling you what you want to hear to further your own destruction, that's not a friend. This is what the church ought to be here. As, As he's speaking to the Ephesian church, he's telling them the very same thing he would tell you and I today. That's why this is God's active living word. It's being spoken to us today. Be strong in sound doctrine so as not to be easily fooled by false doctrine. These charismatic false teachers. You know, this is a time for shepherding right here. And this is what, what's happening. Sometimes there's, there's a time for shepherding outside of church, and that's where a lot of shepherding is done, ministering to. But let me tell you that there's also a time to go after the wolves in sheep's clothing. Pointing out people who are undermining the very work of Christ. I can tell you that there's, there's, there's little that gets me upset more than someone that's within the church and is backbiting, is undermining, is trying to pull people away. That's little, there's little that gets me like, like that, that angry. And, and, and it's like, sometimes I get that close. I just want to call you out so that the cancer can be eradicated, like removed. You know, that's a loving thing. Can you imagine Jesus being the good shepherd? A wolf jumps over the fence to come in. And he goes, oh, you're all welcome. It's okay. You know, maybe we can tame the wolf. Just, you know, right now, the wolf is being calm. Not, not seeking to, to devour anyone or anything like that, so let him be. Jesus doesn't do that. We within the church ought to be those people who are discerning. This, this is what the Apostle Paul is desiring. This is what God desires of us. That we would be so strong in sound doctrine that you cannot be easily fooled by these charismatic fools. By the clowns of ministry, so to speak. And be taken astray. You can trust that I will fight on your behalf and expose anything that is not of the Lord. But I pray that we have more people here that are willing to do that. That can discern that and point that out. And stay away from those people. Not buy their books. Not listen to their podcasts. Not take part in what they're saying. Not be duped into believing what they're teaching. There's got to be that discernment. Being mature in your faith and learning how to be content and wholly devoted to Jesus Christ. Trusting the word and living by it. Leading others to the one true gospel. As we are strengthened by the teaching of the gospel and we get trained up in sound doctrine, in so doing, we can be mutually encouraging to one another. And that's what we have. In verse 12, the Apostle Paul knew that 
He was there to encourage others, but he himself would be encouraged. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is not saying that we encourage each other in our unbelief or in our lack of faith or to be further established in our unbiblical opinions, worldly philosophies, doubts, depression, fear, failure, sin, etc., but rather to be mutually encouraged in our faith. That's why we're gathered here this morning. And the whole purpose for gathering on a Sunday morning is for the church. And as we do, our purpose is to worship and glorify the Lord, to serve each other, and to be mutually built up when we live and speak what gives life. You know, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. If we as Christians are ambassadors of Christ, we are his representatives, right? Representing him, speaking what he has sent us to speak, behaving in a manner which reflects his character then we too are to come speaking that abundant life in him. What does that mean? To live and speak the word soundly to each other, to build each other up in Christ, and to proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ to the world. Remember, he wanted to proclaim the gospel to the church. The gospel, sometimes we, we think, well, that's just uh, like a Roman's road, right? To lead someone to salvation. No, no, no. The, the gospel is, is the whole counsel of God. That's what it is. That's only a part of it. And this is the necessity that Paul discerned was his. A good burden to carry. Because in verse 14, it says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to, both to wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And we see how Paul was loyal to what Jesus had called him to accomplish. The command was given for him to deliver the gospel to all. And he gladly did it because he himself had come to know salvation. He had come to know that you know, God's grace offered to him. Through Jesus Christ. Paul was not seeking the approval of the world. But the glory of the one who had given him salvation by grace and not works. Through faith and not religion. See, Spurgeon said this, quote, Far be it from us to seek a crown of honor where our Lord found only a crown of thorns. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 writes, for if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul was set apart for the gospel. Secondly, he was sent to sanctify the saints. And finally, he was sent to proclaim the gospel. Verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
It's interesting that the Apostle Paul has to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he have to say this? How many times have you not shared the gospel because perhaps you're ashamed of the gospel? If you're not ashamed, then why don't you share it more? What is the gospel? Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah who is prophesied about, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and mine, was buried and resurrected on the third day. After 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved from eternal condemnation in hell. And our names are written into the Lamb's book of life. So in Christ we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If we reject Christ, then we remain condemned in our sin. The Apostle Paul very succinctly in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 11, laid out the gospel And he's writing to Christians. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul was ashamed of himself, but he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. The whole reason why he worked harder because was because he knew grace better. That was it. It wasn't because he thought himself of being better, but because he knew grace was sufficient. Paul said that he was not ashamed of this gospel, because when this gospel is proclaimed and realized, it is the power of God for one thing and one thing alone. If everything else is lost and you gain this one thing through the gospel, it was all worth it. Salvation. But it's conditional. It's to everyone who believes. Do you believe? Is it expressed by how you live, what you say, what you confess? 
Because Paul was gladly burdened with the declaration of this gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He had a burden for the lost. Paul was declaring here that the righteousness of God is revealed from from faith for faith, meaning that righteousness is given to the sinner who puts their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, receiving his sacrifice as his mercy and his justification as his grace toward them. In other words, the moment you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, what the Father sees in you is not your sin, but Jesus' righteousness because he covers you with it. It's truly wonderful. But that's exactly what happens. If you are saved by faith, then you are also called to live by faith, trusting before you see. And as you trust before you see and you you, you walk that word out that whatever it is that the Lord has before you, it's pretty amazing how God demonstrates his faithfulness to you time and time and time and time again, over and over. He's faithful. Paul knew that he was sent to proclaim the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The more we're reminded of that, the more we are driven to, desiring to, continuing to not only walk out our faith, but also tell others about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are set apart for the gospel, sent to sanctify the saints, and sent to proclaim the gospel, just as Paul was. I want to close with this. Just a few words to encourage you. Paul knew salvation. And he knew freedom because he had been forgiven of his sins and was free to live for Christ. Not to earn a place in heaven or even to ready himself for heaven, but as a display of gratitude for having been given a place in heaven by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That was it. D.L. Moody said, quote, God has cast our confessed sins into the depths of the sea, and he's put, even put a no fishing sign over the spot. Close quote. Perhaps you've heard that. But listen, D.L. Moody, as he said this, don't, don't like gloss over, don't look past this one very important word that he used. God has cast our, what sins? Confessed. You know, I've been asked the question, you know, shouldn't we forgive everyone? Well, the answer to that is, of course, in general, yes. But to overlook something, sometimes what it looks like is this. Tom has offended me. He hasn't asked for forgiveness. And I will move on. I won't allow that to burden me. It's just Tom. But the way I can forgive Tom is by giving him a Snickers. Is when he asks for forgiveness. First uh, John one nine. We we go to that often. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have to, you have to humble yourself before God. We also need to humble ourselves before each other. You know that? 
if we've offended one another, we ought to be able to not only humble ourselves before God, but humble ourselves before others. Brother, I am so sorry. I have said this or done this that is not in line with a godly character, is not aligned with God's word, and I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Will you forgive me? It's conditional. Otherwise, it would be universalism. You don't have to do a thing. Why are we here? Eat, live, and be merry. Right? We're all going to be saved anyway. That's a lie. God declares freedom to you in one name and no other. Have you confessed your trust in him? And I have a line of scriptures here, just a few. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12 says this. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. We know these things, right? Romans 3.23, all have sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short, fall short of the glory of God. Romans 10, 9, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And John 10, or I mean Romans 10, 13, says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. I hope you're ready to cry out to him, whether it's a recommitment, whether it's a first-time commitment. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I am going to ask you to, at this very moment, as we pray, as we close, to just confess whatever it is that you need to confess to the Lord and ask him to either save you or to forgive you of your sins or both, right? And to come to that place to where you're walking with him, ask him to fill you with this Holy Spirit and help you to, to understand what it means to respond in a grateful way and honor and glorify him. And stick around because we continue to go through the word of God and we learn how to do that week in and week out. One more quote. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, better to go to heaven alone than to hell with a herd. Father. That is true. I pray that for us, Lord, we are not concerned about who's to our right or to our left who may know or who we're hoping not knows. Lord, I pray first of all that you would help us to come to that place of humble repentance. That we may ask you for forgiveness. And Lord, come running into the arms of the Father because of the sacrifice of the Son. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen this church, continue to help us to understand how to bless and glorify you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.